Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, well, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, your host, life coach, and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing parenting while highly sensitive and healing. There's an old reading that floats around addiction recovery circles. It basically says, I wake up, walk down the street, fall into a hole. The next day I wake up, walk down the street, fall into the same hole. The next day I wake up, walk down the street, fall into the same hole. The next day I wake up, walk down the street, fall into the same hole. One day I wake up, walk down the street, and avoid the hole. One day I wake up, I decide to walk down a different road. Healing, recovery of any kind, is about learning to avoid the same traps, the same holes. Mindfulness helps us pay attention to our patterns. It helps us ask questions of ourselves like, why do I fall into this hole? But the answer to a why question doesn't keep any of us from falling into the hole. You just know the reason why. In my youth, I spent many years asking myself and anybody who would let me, why did my biological father abandon me? Why? I fixated on the why. And once I knew he was not well. Only an unwell person can abandon three children. I realized that all that time and energy that I had given to the why didn't do anything for me to move forward. And this is where a lot of talk therapy falls short, in my opinion. The answer to a why question doesn't necessarily fix the pattern of falling into the hole that is the problem. So at first, we very naturally ask why. There's a reason why kids go through a stage where they ask why umpteen billion annoying times. We crave the answer to why. But after we spend time with why, after we mature and we want more from ourselves and from our experience, then we learn to ask how. 
how do I avoid falling into this hole? I had to learn how to ask myself, okay, my biological father abandoned me because he was unwell, because he was ill-equipped, inadequate. How do I heal from that? By asking the question, how, we start to form an action plan that serves our healing, that serves our goals. Early in the process, we have goals that are in large part about avoiding what's unuseful. We want to avoid that which creates struggle and consequence. So the lens that we hold up to our eyeballs for a while is one that has us looking at how to avoid the holes. At a point in recovery, as we continue to move through, we stop framing life in terms of what to avoid. We stop framing life in terms of what to avoid and why, and even how to avoid. We start to realize we don't have to keep walking down such holy roads that consume our energy with safety measures, hypervigilance, mindfully stepping with every single step so we don't trip and fall into that dang hole that sits right there. At a point, we start to let go of this and we start to realize, wow, I can walk down a different street. I can even choose one that's safe, well-maintained, hole-free so that I can stop being hypervigilant about falling into holes. And at that point, I can actually look up. I can walk. I can live. I can marvel at the sky. I can see the trees and the leaves moving on the wind. I can see the birds and I can hear them chirp. And I can find ease in witnessing the clouds floating on by. The goal is to live and to grow ourselves from surviving the holy road to thriving as we walk the path of our lives. Today's episode is about helping highly sensitive parents who are healing as they parent. This episode is about identifying the holes that childhood trauma creates, holes that parents and children can accidentally fall into. So here's my challenge for you. If you are a highly sensitive healing parent right now, do not judge yourself harshly. Please do not use my work and what I put out there to feed the depression and not good enough gremlins and self-flog. Self-flogging is its own hole. My work and why I do this show is to help you see the obstacles that can accidentally trip up a healing human so that you can walk more steadily more sure-footed, with less energy expenditure toward the goal of thriving and choosing a well-paved road. If the best you can do is hear this and be down on yourself, my second challenge that you can choose to take or toss out the window, but I'm going to offer it, is to notice yourself, witness yourself, And to make a decision, a commitment to come back later today or tomorrow or next week and listen to my words again through a lens of learning, expansion, 
self-compassion and gratitude. Yes, gratitude. That might sound like a strange one for me to throw in, but yes, gratitude. Gratitude for yourself, that you are willing to learn where the holes are and to live life committed to expansion, to getting just a little bit lighter and brighter and more sure-footed each day. So what are the holes that highly sensitive parents who are healing from a dysfunctional childhood fall into? This list is in no particular order. I've got six, and it is certainly not an exhaustive list. Number one, over-explaining, over-talking. Giving children who are too young too many choices that overwhelm them. This tends to be an overcorrection that comes from the experiences of being under-listened to, under-considered, over-dominated, under-seen. Y'all have heard me talk about the pendulum swinging in lots of different ways. This is a way that the pendulum swings. It's as if the inner psyche says, hey, nobody listened to you, so we're going to do all the listening for these children. Children really do need grown-ups to decide much of their existence. It's too much for their brains to make choices constantly because they don't understand the impact or the consequences of their choices. They just don't have enough life experience on the planet yet. They are in a season of life where they really don't know, and they will learn by what you show them. So your job as a parent in a lot of ways is to know for them until they can know for themselves. Giving them choices that don't stress you out on the journey is key for them to learn how to choose for themselves over time. But you must learn to do this in a way that does not invite power struggles or make your own life harder. Like a great question for a developing small child, a toddler, an elementary school student is, would you like to wear the blue outfit or the red outfit today? Because what outfit they wear does not matter to the productivity of your day, to the flow of your day. And that's a choice that they can handle. That's a choice that helps them get to know themselves. Hmm, am I the person who has an affinity for blue in this moment or red? They're getting to know themselves through the experience of making such a choice and being empowered to do so by their parent. Socks or no socks with sandals today. So clothing is a great way to offer choices to a child. These questions, these type of choices, helps the child step into their own empowerment in an age-appropriate way. But this is tricky We've got to make sure we don't ask questions that we don't really want the answer to. Like I don't recommend asking a child, do you want to go to school or not? Or in a divorce process, what parent do you want to live with? It's just too much. It takes life experience to grow into being able to figure out smart choices. So the parent's part here is key. To be able to explain life without over-explaining. To be able to explain in a way that makes life make sense and doesn't overwhelm. We don't want to offer a child a choice that doesn't work for the parent or the family. We don't want to ever say things like, do you want to stay in bed or go to school today? Would you like to eat a healthy meal or keep playing video games? 
Do you want to take a bath or not? Do you want to brush your teeth or just go straight to bed? So we can be really smart and mindful about explaining enough and empowering choice in a way that is age appropriate and reasonable for child and parent. Number two, trying to be a perfect parent. Many of you out there listening to the show are struggling with your own perfectionism. So consider if you want to model attempting to be perfect to your kids. Highly sensitive people, we are the observers. So my goodness, if a narcissistic parent sort of refuses to observe their own imperfections, I can say that a highly sensitive parent over-observes their own imperfections. I see highly sensitive, very well-intentioned parents fearing Every imperfect moment will do major damage to a child. And it's just not so. Many of you listening will resonate with this. Look back at your own parenting, especially if it was highly dysfunctional. I can bet good money that the most destructive people in your own development never, ever, ever showed you that they were fallible, that they made mistakes. In my own story, I didn't receive a healthy, genuine apology that included effort to not do the same destructive thing again and again and again. I didn't see any adult bring that to me. None of us have ever needed perfect parents, not even close. So it's interesting for me to witness parents trying to parent perfectly. What we all could have benefited from And those of you parenting right now can learn, can incorporate, and can deliver for your children is showing with honesty and integrity and age appropriateness again that you are a safe, stable place for them to fall, that you can lean on them. And also, you are a flawed work in progress. And we show this to children when we're raising them By saying things like, you know what? I figured out something today. I learned something new about parenting. And that means that I'm not going to do this with you the same old way that I have been doing it. I'm going to be different because I'm changing and I'm growing. And nobody knows all the things. I know I know a lot, but I don't know all the things. And it's okay to learn from others and to be different. This is what we have needed from the human condition that is parenting. We need this inside of our own selves. Permission to be a flawed human who learns and grows and develops and gets better year after year, month after month, day after day. The trick here is if you have PTSD or anxiety or anger management problems, you may find yourself reactive and intense at times. And that's what I'm going to talk about in number three. And this is something that I I take a bold stance on with parents. But if you are reactive and intense, I want to challenge you to own it. Own that that is something that currently happens for you. Own that right now, you don't have the level of control you would like over your voice raising or your tone getting sharp or lashing out own it. From the place of owning it, we can create a plan 
for when we start to feel the nervous system activating and escalating. And this plan can be wildly simple. It can be a plan that is just a commitment that if I feel my energy starting to rise and I'm with other people, then my plan is to walk away until I can de-escalate myself. You have the power to disallow yourself from dumping activated energy on your children. It's as simple as that. And simple does not mean easy. Because breaking a pattern, a pattern in your own mind and body, and a pattern that was modeled for you by other people while you were learning and growing, breaking that pattern is not easy. In accepting that this is the task, okay, I get reactive and intense. In a perfect world, I'd be able to hit a little button and that just wouldn't happen anymore. But I have to allow myself to have a process of change. And until I can wrangle that reactive intensity, I can just simply walk away. I can let my partner or my spouse and my kids know that this is going to be my strategy and not to chase me and that I will come back later when I am de-escalated and grounded to have the conversations that I need to. When we do this, this embodies breaking the cycles of dysfunction on the family tree. And you can do that for you and you can do that for your children. You really, really can. I recognize that there's no job description for parent. Wasn't that interesting? The most important job and we don't have a clear job description of it. So in a lot of ways, it is the task of each parent to decide what your job is. From my background in mental health, I believe it is a parent's job to learn how to respond to yourself and your children and your partner, if you have one, and to let go of reacting, to let go of instant intensity over time, to let go of any addiction to a rageful surge that releases your pain in one big burst onto another person. In owning it, we can change it. Owning does not mean shaming yourself. I hope those of you who lean self-shaming can really hear me loud and clear right now. Do not waste your energy martyring yourself about this. Sometimes we only know how to do dysfunctional apologies. This may be the closest to an apology that you received within your family of origin. This is another thing that we can own that we may not know how to apologize healthily to ourselves or to another. If I get reactive and have bad behavior, lash out at another human being, and then in my apology, if I'm sort of positioning myself that maybe you should feel sorry for me after I've exploded on you, it's an unfair position for me to position myself as the victim of my very own reactive behavior. I'm not the victim in that moment. And going into a victim mentality right there in that moment dismisses the impact of my bad behavior on that other human being. It creates codependency when we put children in the position to make a parent who lost it feel better just because you feel badly after unloading or unleashing on them. If you do this, it makes the child parent you instead of you parenting the child. This teaches codependency. 
then when they go out into the world and they're upset by another human being's bad behavior, what they've learned is to go into soothing the other person, soothing the offender, which can accidentally teach them to deny their own response, their own feelings, their own process in that moment of human lashing out and attack coming at them. A healthy apology does not have a dose of feel sorry for me. I have a really good excuse because my parents were worse than I am to you. A healthy apology does not have a dose of that. A healthy apology owns. I reacted when I needed to respond. I'm sorry. I need to be different when I'm upset. I'm sorry it's taking me a long time to learn how to do that. It's okay for you to be angry with me. It's okay for you to be confused when I get angry and intense. It's still confusing for me sometimes too. It's okay for you to be upset with me when I have bad behavior. I get upset with you when you have bad behavior, right? I promise to show you how I'm changing. I'm working on walking away when I feel intense. And I promise I will come back when I feel calmer so that I can talk and not be scary or mean or screaming. Scary and mean and screaming is not okay. I don't expect you to forgive me right now. I hope you will forgive me after I show you that I'm doing better. Imagine what it would have done for your life to have adults acknowledge their shortcomings. To have adults acknowledge that they're working on how to relate and how to be better. How would it have changed your life to have a parent model learning new things, vulnerable things, modeling not knowing everything simply because you're an older being on the planet? What would have changed about your life if you had had older adult model that mistakes and putting effort into cleaning up those mistakes is how we communicate care and respect for ourselves and for other human beings. What would that have done for your life? It would have profoundly changed my life. It would have launched me into adulthood having a foundation of relatability and ownership that would have done a lot to launch me into adulthood with a steadier people picker, a steadier sense of who I was, who I wasn't, and how to be in this very challenging world. So you are in charge of managing the perfectionist inside of you and how that perfectionist shows up or dials down over the years. It's the perfectionist in us that denies our humanity, the way we must fumble through life because we just don't know until we've fumbled. We are faced with learning how to love ourselves, not for the performance of almost perfect when we knock it out of the park and are so delighted with ourselves. Rather, the task is for us to learn to love ourselves appropriately through our missteps and mistakes. Not to hide from our missteps and mistakes, not to pour alcohol or other drugs on top of our mistakes and mistakes, our embarrassment, our shame. It's some of the ickiest stuff I've had to face in my own healing. That historically, when I've been angry or upset or reactive, that my tone is very similar to what I heard as a child. My tone, my voice, it 
the things that I have historically said sound like my mother. No one wants to see that. No one wants to embrace that kind of reality, that kind of ick. Seeing and hearing yourself repeat or replay that old shit that you know damaged your own self is awful. But it's more awful to not face it and to continue it over a lifetime. To continue the shame, to continue the stuffing, to continue the trauma to yourself and to others. This is the real stuff that we face as growing human beings. Not just the bubble bath kind of self-care. This is what true ownership sounds like and looks like. So that we can really embody the life that we want and let go of what truly no longer serves us. To my own inner child, I've apologized a whole lot. I've said, I'm so sorry that this isn't more like a light switch and I can just learn this one day and be done with it. That I have to meet myself in those uncomfortable feelings and guide myself towards a different way of being over and over and over and over again until it gets easier and it does get easier. But it certainly doesn't feel like it when we're in the thick of it. If I didn't share that with you now or ever, I would be spiritually diverting from my own growth and hiding from my real experience. And I wouldn't have integrity about what I'm saying to you over this microphone on Emotional Badass. I would have thwarted my own growth if I couldn't or wouldn't have owned that, of course, of course, do you see how normal and natural this is? That when we're triggered, when we're in upset, when life seems to be going wrong in 17 different ways, all in the same moment, of course, that old programming, flipping out however our parents did so, or stuffing it all down and pretending like we weren't having anything going on, those old ways of being poke through. Those old patterns grab the steering wheel of our life and drive us towards those old behaviors that are sickly comfortable because they're known by our system. They got practiced. What a potential gift that we give ourselves when we practice such ownership despite the ick. And what a potential gift those of you that have chosen to be guides as parents in this one precious life. What a gift to give your children to show them a human being that is embracing a healthy self-development path, no matter how messy or wonky or imperfect as you walk in. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. So I want to break down six holes that I see highly sensitive people and parents falling into so that you can avoid those holes until you learn 
to walk a well-paved, well-kept street. One, survivors tend to undervalue the importance of fun. If you worship the almighty, never-ending to-do list, why? Is it to people, please? Is it so that your own self or other people don't judge you to have a messy home or judge your yard or judge your clothing or judge your hair? Are you worshiping the to-do list because you're scared of what other people will think? If you don't look frazzled and like you're always working so hard to barely keep it together, how many times in your life have you totally completed the to-do list? In my own life, it's maybe three times over the entire course of my life that I actually can honestly tell you, I felt like, yep, I have nothing else to do right now in this moment. (laughs) Everything on the to-do list is checked off. And I did the math. I've been alive about 15,000 days on this planet. And I've only finished the to-do list three times. How many times have you actually completed that list? Yes, of course, we all have to keep life going. We have to manage a house, a home, food and laundry. We have to have together time in a reasonable way. But if you're parenting, your kids will only be young once. They will never get another day like today. And you will not get another day like today with them. Life can't be all work and it can't be all play. But you can encourage yourself to allow, to invite, to create fun, to practice and experience new and novel activities with yourself, with your partner, if you have one, with your kids. You can explore new, novel, fun ideas and games and experiences. This is the spice of life. And survival mode does not know how to make room for fun, for lightness. You are your own person, even though you are a parent. And sometimes getting away from the children to have a new and novel experience nourishes the person that you are. So that you can come back to your family, come back to your parenting responsibilities, refreshed, willing, happy to give. Are you telling yourself that life is a drag, that it's drudgery? So I looked up drudgery and guess what a synonym for drudgery is? Donkey work. Are you making life donkey work and then feeling like an ass? Don't be an ass. You can have more fun. You can disallow donkey work as a lifestyle. If you lean depressive, you can embrace faking it till you make it. And don't allow overthinking to take the energy of trying something new, different, or interesting. We can make fun memories and value fun memories. We can value that as much as we value checking those things off of that to-do list. Fun in this modern age is its own accomplishment. Second hole that we might fall into. How to say no. I cannot tell you how much time I've spent over the course of my career coaching, encouraging, challenging, modeling how to say no. 
Life requires us to say no to so much. No to self-sabotage. No to energy vampires. No to people-pleasing that sucks our life force. No in abusive relationships. No to takers who take too much. No inside of romantic relationships. No inside of friendships. No inside of relationships with bosses. If you want your kids to have an easier time with no than you've had, if you want them to be anti-doormat kind of people in how they show up in the world, then you are tasked with nurturing the no in creative and appropriate ways that don't put you out or create power struggles. This looks like taking opportunities as life unfolds to strengthen this no muscle in yourself and in your children. That can look like a discussion over dinner. Okay, fam, we have four invitations this weekend and we can only attend two events. How do we decide what to say no to? And you can host the space to have those discussions, family negotiations to strengthen those negotiation muscles, those yes muscles and those no muscles. Maybe each child in your family gets to fully hate and reject two of their most icky vegetables. Maybe after they've tried them five whole times willingly. Get creative. Where and when does it work to allow and encourage your kids to work the no muscles? Notice what comes up in you when your child turns to you and says a very healthy no, particularly if you were not allowed a no. Work with that response in the ego that bristles. Like, who is this kid telling me no? I wasn't allowed to say no. Lean into that and that can change over time. Number three, over-functioning for children teaches kids how to manipulate. Now, if you were under-cared for, neglected emotionally or even physically, our trauma, our trauma consequences live at the poles. You've heard me talk about the pendulum swing a lot. And what I mean about the poles here is that if we were undercared for, we are likely to either pass on that undercare when we are parents, or the pendulum will swing to the other pole, the other side, and we will overfunction. Sometimes we do better than our parents did. I did better partnering with my second husband than I did with my first, but better wasn't healthy. So sometimes we do better, but better might not necessarily be what we're going for. If someone is starving and I give them a cracker, sure, that cracker is better, but it's still not what's really needed or what will really change the situation. And that's what we're trying to do when we break cycles of dysfunction on the family tree. So if we're swinging between these poles of over-functioning for kids or under-functioning for kids, even when it's better, this can stunt or even manipulate the emotional and mental development of a child. So here's an example from my real life that I I like to use. I was on the phone with an old girlfriend many years ago who had a four-year-old little girl. And that child walked into the room while we were talking and said, "Mm, your water looks good. And she said, are you thirsty? Do you want a drink? Want some of mine? Want me to get you your own? And kind of wordlessly, I gathered that the kid kind of reached up and nodded yes and took a sip and went on her way. Now, I 100% understand 
that most parents are just wrapped up in moving life along. So kid thirsty, take a sip, check, moving on to the next thing. Very much understand that and have compassion for the necessity of that in many moments of life. There's nothing wrong with that at first glance. And it's an extremely typical way to be. But here is my issue with it. As someone who tries to squeeze growth opportunity out of the natural moments of life. I've spent so much time and energy teaching people to get to know themselves, to get assertive, and to ask for what they need. And most people are puzzled as to why this is so difficult, especially if they had a sort of more average dysfunctional childhood, if you will, than a sadistic dysfunctional childhood, for lack of a better way to describe that difference. It's in these little moments that we learn the art form of communication, those millions and billions of little bitty moments that seem absolutely inconsequential. This is where we really strengthen our language skills, our communicative abilities. And most parenting, I find, misses these nuggets of opportunity just because they are overwhelmed by the minutia of the day in moving the day forward. So here's what that little girl didn't have a chance to strengthen in that moment. And I hope by sharing this little bit of her story, it helps you find these moments to strengthen this for your own parenting and for the benefit of your children. There was an opportunity there to guide that child to say, may I have something to drink and learn what it is to assert herself. Maybe even better to guide her into, may I get myself a drink or I'm thirsty, what can I have? We accidentally teach children to manipulate. So if I'm watching a four-year-old and she comes up to me and says, ooh, that, drink's, that drink looks good, Nikki. If y'all were watching me, you might be surprised at how I handle that. Might even make you feel a little weird. Because how I'm going to handle that is, it is, it is delicious. This is a great drink. You're right. Do you have something that you want to ask me? And if that child looks at me, and I've played this out with different children, but if that child looks at me and says again, I'm thirsty, then I'll look right at him and say, me too. Oh, I'm so glad I poured myself this drink. It's really taking care of my thirst. What do you want to ask me? It seems like you want to ask me something. And when that child finally finds the words to say, well, can I have a drink? I make a really big deal out of that. Yes, of course. I love when you ask me for exactly what you want so clearly. That was awesome communication. Yes, let's get you a drink. Would you like to pour it? I'll hold the glass. So this is important, but it, doesn't, it just doesn't seem so important in the day to day. I want that little girl to have clarity of language so that when she is on a date in 12 years, I could pull lots of different examples. This is just one example I'm going to pull. I don't want that child in on a date experiencing sexual pressure, saying things from the passive tense. I feel weird or I don't like that or I'm not sure we should be doing this. I want her to have strong muscles in being able to declare what she wants I want you to stop touching me. I don't want to do that. I want this date to be over. I'm calling my parent. I want to leave now. Because the flip side is impactful too. 
Because if that boy uses the flip side telling her, I'm so thirsty, I'm so thirsty. And that language has been normalized inside of her that when she has said, I'm thirsty, she gets handed what she wants because it's normalized inside of her experience. It's going to be so much harder for her to hold her boundaries. I want her to be able to hold her boundaries and not jump to over-functioning just because he or she, whoever she's dating, is thirsty or horny or whatever or in desire of her in some way. I want her to know that she can sit there sipping her own drink despite someone else saying, but I'm thirsty. The message underneath I am thirsty is I want what you have and I want you to give it to me. What do you think all manipulation operates on? It's very similar, isn't it? I want what you have and I feel entitled to take it. Give me. And we're wondering why we're seeing more and more and more entitlement develop in our youth. This way of over-functioning, of not waiting and encouraging the child to find her assertive voice and speak for her, give in to that sort of passive way of being, really thwarts communicative development, assertiveness. It creates enmeshment, codependence, confusion about boundaries and how to speak up, how to ask for what you need. Confusion about how to self-care in the face of another's desire. So I've given you six highly sensitive parenting holes that are very common to fall into. So know that if you resonate with anything on this list or all of this list, you are so not alone and people are healing, looking at this stuff and growing up and out of it to give their kids what they really wanted, a very solid foundation so that they can springboard into adulthood. Remember the poem and how much power you have to not dig or fall into holes. That you, me, all of us have the ability to awaken and realize, even if we were raised on a street that was nothing but potholes, that we don't need to continue falling into holes. And in fact, we can fill those holes in so no one falls in anymore. I wake up. I walk down the street, fall into a hole. The next day I wake up, walk down the street, fall into the same hole. The next day I wake up, walk down the street, fall into the same hole. Until one day I wake up, walk down the street, and avoid the hole. One day I wake up and decide to walk down a different road. I want to thank all of the ways that all of you support Emotional Badass and its continued growth. There are so many ways to support the show. When you listen and do your own growth work, you are supporting the show. When you share the show from EmotionalBadass.com or buy a sweatshirt and walk around your neighborhood proud showing Emotional Badass swag, you are supporting the show. Today, I want to specifically thank those of you who have given us a five-star review. It helps the show more than you can imagine, and I'm so grateful for the time and the effort. It feels like a hug coming at us, and I appreciate you. I want to thank GSN DBF. They say thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
You are the mentor, friend, and therapist I've always been looking for. I feel less alone and know I'm not the only one feeling this way. Your show always teaches me something and raises my vibration. Thank you so much, Nikki. You are helping me so much on my spiritual journey. So much light and love to you. I'm so glad you're out there. Thank you for being the change in the world. I want to thank Aunt Sil, A-N-T-S-I-L. They say life-changing. Nikki has absolutely changed my life by helping me knit together so many of my experiences, reactions, and discoveries from a decade of therapy. I feel seen, understood, supported, empowered, and honestly just held every time I listen to a new episode. Thank you so much for writing that and sending that message out into the world for other people and for me to read right now in this moment, sending you a big, giant healing hug. I want to thank Ash602. They say, I have learned so much about highly sensitive people. I appreciate the positive content you are putting out. Keep up the good work. I am trying to. Thank you so much. I am committed and so is my team and I could not do it without this team that helps me. Chris, my husband, produces the show. Kat, my assistant, does so much to manage the messaging that comes in for the show. And Ruth does so, so much to help us write and organize and manage. I love my team. Love, love, love you guys. I want to thank Felix Elias. They say, you are the best. You are too. Light and love to you. Says you are amazing doing what you do. Simple as that. Love your content. Thank you so, so much. I want to thank HSP Brooke Alexis putting her full name in this review. They say, finally, I've been looking for something like this for a very long time. This is it. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time and effort to reach people with this podcast. This is the best. Oh, thank you very much. I know that your review is helping other people find us too. Appreciate it so much. D Diggity 55. Love the simple review. Thank you for the five stars. It says good stuff. I'm impressed. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Gabby Martin, another full name on the reviews that says Gabby says life changing. I came across this channel looking for motivational speeches on Pandora one bad day. Immediately, I went and started listening to all of your podcasts back to back. I learned I was an HSP. I couldn't stop listening all day. It felt better than any counseling session in my life. I am 21 and I've been trying to heal childhood trauma for the past four years. I've spent the last four years looking for answers and help from family, friends, doctors, and more. I'm sending you a big old hug. I know that no matter when you start your healing journey, it feels like not soon enough. I want to tell you as someone twice your age, that it is astounding to be doing this work at 21 and your life is going to be so much lighter for it. Hang in there. Your 20s are the toughest decade. Don't believe anybody that says it's the best time of your life. It is the toughest to sort out yourself and this messy, messy human world. Be kind to yourself. Never, ever give up and keep going. All right, I'll read one more. Oh, I know who this is. Oh, I love you. This is from Megan Elise 12. She says, the turquoise house. Oh, this is from a while back. 
I clicked a random episode today. It was an episode about the beat up turquoise house with a yoga studio in the living room. That was where I had my my office for years and a little bitty, teeny, very intimate yoga studio that I, I loved so much. I laughed and cried, but most importantly, I heard what I needed to hear to get through my day. I struggle so much with staying in control, and this was just the message I needed about letting go and taking positive risks. I can't wait to listen to all of them. Such a beautiful way to start my day. Thank you. I hope that this episode and every episode, every video, every single thing that I put out there into this universe helps you respect and hold space for yourself as a highly sensitive person. You count, you matter. The feelings that make life a struggle, I promise you can work on your relationship with those. You can transform how you move through this life and this experience of living so that you can learn to put down the hypervigilance, the survival, and thrive more and more and more. Most of my life, I've done this work for my own healing and really questioned how much was possible to change and to grow. It's a big part of why I wanted to do the show was to use my story to show you that no matter what, you absolutely can heal. Because of my chosen profession, it has been a tremendous gift in my life to have the honor to witness the healing in my clients. So much healing is possible. Do not ever give up on yourself. Light and love. And I hope that this episode reads as almost a love letter to those of you parenting out there. Thank you for being willing to lean in and parent differently and to do the hard work of looking at yourself and how the way that you are in this world affects your children. Thank you for not hiding from that and facing those realities and continuing to grow and develop and allowing your children to see that. And I will see you right here next time on Emotional Badass. I'm an emotional badass. You're an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets Mindful. Light and love. Bye-bye. find it hard to sleep at night then the sleep cove podcast can help you hi i'm christopher fitton the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind sleep cove sleep cove features sleep hypnosis meditations and bedtime stories all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep search for sleep cove on apple podcasts or spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.